0: Welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast, where we listen to and learn from the people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here's your host, Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Chiat Day, New York.
1: Well, Welcome, everybody. Uh, We're thrilled to have Mr. Todd Pasternak today. He's uh, the writer of a new book called Lessons from the Road. Musicians as business leaders. Todd, welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Rob. Yeah, it's great to have you. Now, uh, what's very interesting about this book, Lessons from the Road. Let me just plug it one more time. Lessons from the Road. (laughs) Musicians as business leaders. Uh, You know, the convention is we get uh, business lessons from business leaders like Jack Welch or Jack Dorsey, but you've got a disruption, and uh, you think there are business lessons from someone like Jack White,
0: right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I was just kind of seeing how my whole world in music started to parallel where I am now. I'm like, whoa, there's there's something here. Yeah, and there are definitely lessons to be learned in the office.
1: Yeah, and in in the book, uh, and again, it's, it's 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 a terrific book, and I love kind of the. Uh, the interview style of it, too, we'll get into, you know, sort of the structure of the book in a little bit. But, I mean, uh, you, you you lay out a couple of top lessons. I mean, what, to your mind, like, what are the, the three, you know, that really are the most critical? Oh, probably most critical,
0: uh, and I'll, you'll probably hear me say this a, a lot, is the power of listening uh, in any setting. Mm-hmm. Probably something around not uh, being afraid to take risk because things are temporal, like there's, there's always a recovery
1: Mm -hmm. and, uh, probably a lesson in resilience. Mm. Interesting. So talk a little bit about these then. So the temporal thing, uh, like, what do you like, what's a good example of that? Yeah.
0: So let me put my musician hat on for one, for one moment. Uh, and part of the scene that I grew up in and, and was sort of part of for a number of years uh, after getting into some some other weird scenes <laughs> was uh, like the jam band scene. Mm-hmm. So heavy improvisation mm-hmm. and leaned so heavily on listening and opening up your mm-hmm. ears. And if you couldn't plug in to what your bandmates were doing, it was a catastrophe. I mean, it was just a mess. Uh, the whole idea was to Play something as if it was always there. Hmm. And the only way you were able to do that was to really be paying really close attention to the groove the drummer was playing. Mm -hmm. What's the syncopation the bass player is bringing out? Um, Is the piano player now switching over to a melody or comping? And as a guitarist, I had to sort of find my place in all of this. And if you came in with sort of any sort of preconceived
1: notions, you were. Yeah, it just didn't work. And who, so maybe give a few musical examples. Like, who's really good at jamming in your mind? Yeah, well, I mean, growing up, I
0: mean, you had, like, the Grateful Dead, the Allman Brothers. Um, At least these were the bands that, like, I loved. Um, Even bands like Fish. Yeah. Like, they're, what's really interesting about a band like Fish is, like, they practiced improvisation, Mm. which sounds kind of weird, Mm but they would do these interesting exercises where uh, in their early years where they would sit around in the rehearsal space and they would just jam for hours on end, sort of fine-tuning how to plug into those moments mm-hmm. until they just read each other's
1: minds. Prepping for spontaneity. Yeah, prepping for I'm, spontaneity. I mean, if you think about it, though, it's, it's akin to, uh, let's call it, you know, just improv in general. Yeah. So is there a music equivalent to the concept of yes and?
0: Yeah, sort of like the, the Second City kind yeah. of uh, approach, for sure. Um, yes, yes. There's all, yes, and <laughs> it's it's super applicable in a music yep. setting. You have to try it. And when I, and this is gets back to that sense of things are temporal. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't work, mm. if you play a wrong note, mm. you're like a half step away from the right one. Mm. You're a split second away from a completely other moment. Someone can completely switch up what they're doing in that musical moment right. and inspire something brand new. And I feel like the best artists jump on those opportunities and keep building and building and building. And that's the yes and kind of mentality.
1: And the other uh, piece that I read, too, about the Second City is um, making your uh, stage mate look good. So rather than questioning or you know, coming off like, well, I'm going to be the funny one and that person's, you know, going to, you know, suffer my, from my funny. It's the opposite. It's, a, you know, if you introduce something like, you know, whatever it is, oh, you know, there's a there's a pot of gold in front of us and you're, you're not like, no, it's not a pot of gold. It's, you know, no, no, you roll, yeah. you roll with the gold. And is it Again, is there a musical equivalent to that?
0: Yeah, it actually makes me think of just the concept of trust in a band because you can't improv well if you don't trust your bandmates. But it also makes me think of um, one of my all-time favorite live music documentaries, The Last Waltz. Mm. There's an amazing scene. Clapton gets on stage with the band, and they're playing um, further on up the Mm. road, right? Clapton starts, and this is a big moment for Clapton, too, because he had just gone back from, like, after, like, rehab, and he was really resistant. Anywho, uh, he gets on stage. They get into it. Levon's got the groove. I mean, it just sounds so good. Right. And you see Clapton's guitar strap just on the edge of falling off mm. and no totally unaware and he's just he's doing his thing and then boom his guitar just falls wow and like in a the next beat Robertson just picks up the the lead and just brings the band right back it's like nothing even happened there was no disruption um, in the sense of of like the continuity of the song and then you know 12 bars later boom Clapton's right back in and those things can happen Unless you really trust the people right. that you're on stage with, and you're listening
1: for it, right? No, I, I, I have a, a somewhat similar story I just heard, where um, the the Rolling Stones are on stage, some guy uh, was attacking Mick, and Keith is like, he can't attack my singer mate, and uh, apparently he had this great Telecaster and he used it as a weapon and like just swung it at this guy to fend off. You know, because the guy was attacking Mick. And, uh, of course, Keith was very impressed because he was like, fuck me, mate. It still sounded great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice.
1: So there you go. But, but, but again, bringing it back to business now. So yeah. if you take this, you know, some of these notions that we're talking about, the trust, the improvisation, the, you know, making your teammates look good. Yeah. I mean, is that, you know, what you started to see?
0: Absolutely. Um in a setting where, let's say you're a product-driven organization, even your service-driven organization, um, you get teams together, right? You have to come up with ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, And you have to walk out of a room aligned on something and like some, some, quote, next steps, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what are we doing, people? So there has to be trust and a sense of good intent walking into that room. And there also has to be a sense of, preparation. I've walked into brainstorming sessions where whoever the facilitator is has no idea what they're doing, and you spend an hour wasting
1: time. Mm -hmm.
0: And everyone's frustrated. The good ones, in my opinion, are when you walk into the room and there's a really clear sense of what you're trying to accomplish. In
1: the so, all right. Place. So let's let's hold on that point. Yeah. Interestingly yeah. enough, and and by the way, I should I should mention that um, as part of your book. I mean, you spoke to some interesting people. You spoke to uh, what, Jimmy Chamberlain from, uh, from the Smashing, Smashing Pum- Pumpkins, yeah. and uh, some someone else from uh, the band Moe. Yeah. I mean, you talked to some not just uh, uh, advertising and tech people with musical side hustles. You talked to actually. Professional musicians, yeah,
0: yeah, um, which was which was great, and um, I think outside of Al from Mo, uh, everyone had some sort of transition at some point. Someone they had taken the sort of the leap from being a professional musician into something new, whether it was tech, marketing, right. advertising, whatever, whatever it was, whatever the new gig was. Um, they all came from this the the roots of having been a professional musician.
1: So great, and I, and and I think. Um, I want to come back to this notion of um, your brainstorming session, because yeah. so a lot of us do brainstorming sessions and workshops and being prepared. You, you know, one, sometimes you read that uh, whether it's the Beatles or, 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 or even um, uh, I heard this about Lil Wayne is that they created in the studio. Then you hear of other bands that had an inordinate amount of material beforehand. And when they got to the studio, they just, Rolled with it, yeah. I mean, was that your experience in these conversations? Like, and again, I I would apply it to brainstorming. Like, sometimes is it okay, yeah, to invent in the brainstorm?
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it makes me think of sort of the different toolkits you have too in those settings. Um, if you're at a setting like Abbey Road Studios, it's probably pretty inspiring, and you you can create in that kind of a setting. Mm-hmm. Other artists. Figure out songs on the road, Mm -hmm. uh, especially where where they are more like live kind of live acts. And they're writing songs on the bus. They're trying them out uh, in front of audiences. And Mm. they're sort of doing their A-B test, so to speak, in front of an audience. And they're seeing what's resonating, what's working. Okay, that's a keeper. The crowd freaked the hell out. Right. That's going on the record. So I think it depends on the environment and the toolkit that you have at your disposal to inform how you go about... A session, a brainstorming session. Yeah, interesting.
1: Uh, when I when I read the book, I I, I took these out uh, as as some of the, some of these top lessons. So I'm just going to roll them out for the audience, and then maybe you want to pick one up and get inspired. Sure. and Tell us a story about it. But uh, build and foster creativity and innovation. Again, these were lessons from uh, from, mm-hmm. from bands. Collaborate with many personalities and opinions to produce something remarkable that connects with people. And I think that's a little bit about what you're talking about here. Um, listen to help make better decisions. The power of listening. You talked a little mm-hmm. bit about that. Uh, recognize which opportunities to capitalize on or accentuate. Uh, and then the last uh, one that I pulled out was uh, determine when it's time to kill an idea. Mm. Yeah. So I don't know if of those uh, five or so, is there one you'd pick up on? There's two. <laughs>
0: so but, uh, so I'll, t- I'll tell you a story, and this does come back a bit to the lesson I started with. And again, it's just because I feel it's so critical. is is, is still centered around listening. So many years ago, one of the projects that I was in, we got a call to do this benefit um, at, uh, to play at BB Kings here in, in Times Square um, for a fellow musician who uh, was going through cancer treatment. And we, we get to the gig, we set up our stuff and then we realize that like some pretty heavy dudes were playing that night too. So we had um, Mike Gordon from Fish, bass player from Fish and John Medeski from Modesky Martin Wood, like one of the most unbelievable organ players on mm. the planet. And uh, at the end of the night there's this open jam. And I'm like, I have to get on stage with these people. You know, else I had my my fan moment, of course. Um, and I'm on stage and I'm like, oh my God, I'm on the stage with Mike Gordon and John Modesky. This is great. And I pick up the guitar and I already knew exactly what I was going to play. I'm like, oh yeah, like I, I'm, you know, I, I can
1: already kind of sense where this is going to go. It's like having your karaoke song.
0: Yeah, exactly. So everything starts up and Gordon plays this big thumping kind of cool bass line and, and you know. John Modesky's playing this big chunky organ riff and then I just sort of like come in with this what I think is like the coolest kind of funky little rhythm thing and I get this look from Mike Gordon mm. like I've never gotten before in my life. Right. I mean he looked at me like it was it was a stare of death. Right. And I almost shit myself. Right. I was so frightened cuz I'm like 23 years old at the time and I'm like freaking out. So I stop. Dead in my tracks, and I'm like, "Do I go off the stage? Do I like, what do I do?" And I'm like, "Todd, just shut the fuck up and Mm. just listen to what's going on." Yeah. And in that moment, I listened as really as hard as I could, and like, what is really happening in this moment? And like the moment? And can I play again? Can I play something where it sounds like it's always been there? Yeah. That it's never not been there. And I sort of feel it, and then I sort of landed on this cool sort of like sparse little lick, and I was so scared to look back at like Mike Gordon. And I do, and I turn my head, and he sort of gives me the quick smile, and I'm like, okay, lesson learned.
1: Interesting, the listening piece. This concept of uh, like it's always been there, maybe tease that out a little bit, unpack that for us, and how do you apply that to business?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think this applies to, to brands. I mean, I think it applies to just the, the products that brands will put out, but this idea where um, it feels as if, Something is so intrinsic; mm-hmm. it's so part of someone's life already. It's part of their behavior. It's just part of their. It's so part of their world. Um, I think when you create things like that, those are the those yeah. are the juggernauts, right? Those are the things that really inspire people yeah. and like I need to be part of that thing, mm. um, which brands strive to do, nail, um, and. Artists strive to nail that too, in a musical sense, of right. course, right? Where um, are those string parts that, mm-hmm. that that we just created? Does it is it so dis- is it disjointed? Mm-hmm. And um, it's like when you hear this when you hear a song, and you know it's right. It's just it's just right. right. And I feel it's the same thing in, in in any creative process, right? It's like when when it's there and that moment happens. Um, you can call it the magic you can call it whatever you want mm. um, but it just seems like that was it that was it that was the moment and and those things do happen in in the office setting in a brainstorm session it's putting out a product it's connecting with with people connecting mm-hmm. with 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 you know consumers
1: i, I someone I, I forget who said it i thought it was a, it was a fantastic definition of advertising that is just uh, along what you're saying which is it's inevitable yet surprising <laughs> Yeah. And I think the best pieces of music and the best products, you know, in some ways, like the iPhone, look at the iPhone as a product. It was inevitable right. that we would reach this point in technology history, yet, I'm always surprised by again some bit of uh, magic, yeah, it's almost as if we've willed it into reality somehow
0: mm. uh.
1: Uh, again, as I was you know reading the book, I was just taking some notes, and uh, I thought this was this was powerful. I don't know if you wrote this or I scribbled it in the margins. you probably wrote it. It's pretty good. I don't know if I could write it this well. Uh, I think you wrote this one uh musicians tell stories through their songs, brands tell stories through their products and marketing creative, yeah. So uh, is that – again, did you have some epiphanies in your music career and then sort of, oh, I'm doing this – because you've – by the way, maybe tell people a little bit about what you were doing both in tech and
0: advertising. Yeah, I'll try to give the really short short version. But yeah, for over 10 years, I was a full-time touring musician and worked on albums. I helped – uh, local artists also, re- you know, record and, and engineered, and then I made a total shift into technology. Really, mm. um, where uh, you know, my 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 moment was, uh, and you can laugh, it's fine. Was uh, you know, I had my 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 MacBook, and someone gave me at the time Macromedia Flash, and was like, oh, you can do some really cool creative things on here. I'm like, come on, and I saw that you could. Uh, you know, there was cool animation and things could become interactive. And I'm like, this is actually pretty fucking cool. Let me see if I can, like, teach myself how to code or something. So I came home with, like, those three-inch thick code coding books at yeah. the time and I just taught myself how to code. Hmm. Um, so I quickly just put all my energy into that because what I didn't expect to happen was to have a similar kind of passion about that world hmm. as I did about music. There was another creative outlet.
1: Yeah. Well, it's kind of composition coding. It, it,
0: exactly. It was composition. Uh and um and it was interactive, like being with an audience, except it was uh either a machine <laughs> right. or there was an audience on the other side of what you produced right mm. um and out of uh out of those experiences, I did get into working um at some digital agencies mm-hmm. and some ad tech companies and um and now I'm at actually at Facebook
1: mm-hmm. so I've heard of them, yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so when you so, you so given that we'll come back to this. So, musicians tell stories through their songs, and brands tell stories through their, their products and marketing creative. Yeah. I mean, is that how did that uh, yeah, work? For yeah, yeah, yeah. So it just came down to storytelling, like just
0: the mm-hmm. the the art of storytelling, and what was the the product, the end result mm-hmm. of that story, and for musicians, it's songs. That's what they—they're all about. Can we just craft the best song? Can we ever right. be the Beatles? Right. <laughs> Can we ever do what they did? Um, and for brands, I feel it's—it's it's the same thing. Yeah. How do we tell the right story to connect with people?
1: Yeah, and I think when you—you you know, let's let's stay with the Beatles for a second, because you know, obviously they were—they were just uh, you know, beyond masters of the music. I think they there's lessons in advertising from the Beatles. Uh, to me, the biggest one is the universality of the themes. Mm-hmm. These are universal themes. All you need is love. It doesn't yeah. get more universal than that. And I think when you tie uh, that universality with simplicity, something happens that's magic, right? That's right.
0: Yeah. You you already had, like I was going to say has to be. It was the simple uh, nature of just love. Yeah. Right. And that's what sparked everyone across the world. Mm. I mean, yeah, looking even from, from the time of the late 60s, early 70s to now, um, everything is really specialized mm. in a way, in, in, in the terms of, of music. And it's, in my opinion, it's kind of stifled yeah. <laughs> everything. Just uh, the, the, um, certainly the way artists are able to be marketed, mm-hmm. uh, which was challenging enough in any. Period of time, but is even more difficult now than ever. Uh, It's actually one of the reasons why I wanted to get out of music at that time because it was right at the digital disruption of the music industry. The labels didn't know what the hell to do with us. Right? Like what? Like or just not even with us? Like what do we do? Yeah. And we knew there was something there. We didn't know how to articulate it back to the label because we didn't know. We were just you know a bunch of guys in a band, Um, and that. That was another sort of spark for me to be like, I got to go figure this out. Right. I mean, is is, is Spotify gotten
1: it? Do you think that's...
0: They're the closest. Yeah. They really are. Um, I'm always amazed um, at their ability to layer together um, the human (laughs) and the tech. Mm. It feels like my friend just gave me, you know, a mixtape when I listen to my daily mix. Right, because the tech seems to be in service
1: of the listener. Yeah, that uh, I'm 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 right there with you because I I think we often in in you know in advertising you know in marketing branding, you know we have these conversations about the algorithm. <laughs> you know, okay, it's just a thing though. It's a tool in a way to serve. You know, uh, people. Yeah. You know, Amazon, you know, using the algorithm, if you like this, you might like this, is exactly what you say, the friend. Yep. Your friend says, hey, you know, if you like, I don't know, the Grateful Dead. You might like fish. I don't know. I don't right. know why people like fish, but they do. <laughs> we could do a whole other uh, a whole episode, other podcast, podcast on, on that justifying uh, fish.
0: <laughs> Actually, that makes me think of something though, Rob, which is this idea of um, again with brands and musicians is when you do tap in to people, whether it's through the songs or the mm. products, people will defend. Either the artist mm. or that brand to death. Yeah, interesting. Right? People like are so have so much invested in the artists that they love, and same with the brand. They're like, "I'm not buying that one." Yep. Are you kidding me? I'm like, I'm sticking with my iPhone. I'm sticking with my. You know, like you can tell me about Samsung till the cows come home, but I, I love this. I feel connected to
1: this. So this notion of brands as bands. Yeah, I think we often talk about the other way around. Just you know. <laughs> Brand, maybe we don't I don't know whatever it is but let's talk a little bit about which brands sort of feel like bands that's a great question um, I mean I think there's there's
0: so many uh, and this isn't just to you know talk about disruption for the sake of disruption but there are disruptor bands
1: that by the just way feel you're, like... you're in the right place to do that so <laughs> feel free to talk about disruption all you like awesome
0: <laughs> but there are there are brands out there that are just shaking shit up. And putting, you know, these hundred-plus-year-old brands on their heels. And they're like the artists, you know, that sort of came as, like, sort of that next wave of, of disruption. Yeah. Um, and that could be anything from, like, your Dollar Shave Club to your Wayfair to, you know, wh- whomever. Right. That, you know, they're able to quickly connect with people and get businesses up and running, like, on their phones. Like, literally, they could build a website from their phone, launch a business, and, you know, grow, like— to $100 million in, like, a year. Right. It's
1: crazy. And do you think there are any bands out there that are doing the same? I mean, you know, versus the A&R system where you'd come through the Motown system and they would train you and, you know, teach you how to be a star... I mean, I guess, you know, Bieber Bieber being discovered on YouTube, is he like the icon of...
0: Yeah, actually, I think that's a great example where it's someone who just popped out of nowhere, wasn't in the traditional system, and is a megastar now. Hmm. Uh, My fear for artists today is there's still the idea that they need to be signed. And And in reality, when you want mass reach... You need the budget. You need the dollars behind right. you to do that. Um, you have you have a higher likelihood of success with it. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. Um,
1: and I think the same is true for brands. I, th- I yeah. think a lot of brands feel like, oh well, we'll you know skate by because the fragmentation of media has made it uh, that we can proliferate in a lot of places. No, no, you're gonna have to spend some money, people. Yeah, I- exactly.
0: If you actually want to hit, re- say, reach the people. Yeah. That you want to connect with you have to invest. Mm. Uh, and one thing that has changed uh, that so many musicians and artists have have taken advantage of uh, is the accessibility of being able to record. Mm-hmm. It, like, you don't have to go to Abbey Road. Mm-hmm. I record music in my garage yeah. that sounds, I, I think it sounds killer. Like, I think it sounds great. Right. So I'm able to record a song in my pajamas, in a you know, in my in my garage, I'm able to then mix and master it, and then I'm able to distribute it and get it on Spotify, Apple Music, mm-hmm. and Amazon Prime in a day.
1: All right. So a, a couple of things there are very interesting and and uh, parallel to what's going on in the world. So uh, a, a shortened and easier, more convenient supply chain. Yeah. Number one, and then secondly, what I'm hearing in your in your story is. Uh, it's music as a service, not only music as a product, right? I mean, it's it's ear software in a way. Yeah. I mean, I'd be curious. I mean, I know you're a
0: huge music fan. Like, do you see more emphasis on the record or the live experience? Because I see that's where maybe the distinction is. Mm. Maybe, maybe not. Um, let me sort of backtrack a little bit because it was the album. Right. It was all about the album. Then it was about the single. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And now... It's just the experience, irrespective of what it is. It could be live. It could be the single. It could be the stream. um, It could just be something that Spotify did as an exclusive with an artist. And it's just like a behind the music kind of a Mm -hmm. thing. Um, But it's the experience.
1: Well, yeah, I'll get to that in one second. I think if you go back, though, further, and I'm older than you, so I I can uh, (laughs) speak uh, with uh, some authority, it was the single. Mm-hmm. Then the album, then the experience, right? Because yeah. you know, I, I, I'm old enough to have 45s, right? Um, and I and I and I say that because I feel like we're back to the future. Because now I don't know if it's the album. I don't. I'm always uh, first of all, it's 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 music as a service. I don't own much music anymore because yeah. of you know Apple Music uh, and, and other options, other platforms. I'm just hey, if I want to listen to. You know, Jay Z in the moment, that's it. Boom. You know, right I don't there. have to own the album anymore. So it makes that's me, different. You know,
0: it it is, and it makes me think of, um, and I don't have an answer for this, mm. but it makes me think about: Does it lose the connection at all? Is is it, or is any sort of the connective tissue with the artist that people feel when they feel invested in, in an artist or a band? Does that disappear if there's nothing
1: transactional? I think it's it, it it's a great question because, again, if I look at band as brand, uh, if I just like a song, I'm just buying a product. I'm not buying into the full brand. Mm. But again, just staying with Jay-Z for a moment, um, you know, I think Jay-Z's got a great brand. Uh, and, you know, when you you know, buy into Jay-Z, I think you're buying into that Rags to Riches story. I think you're buying into, um, you know, an icon of New York. Uh, So I think, uh, you know, uh, he, to me, feels uh, a little bit different than uh, what most of the music business is and, frankly, what's becoming uh, a lot of what the world is today, you know, in terms of products and services. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think back now to –
0: or actually just going back to the idea of you know, brands as bands, mm. right, um, and seeing them, again, with sort of that disruptor state, uh, sort of stuck. Mm. In, some, in some cases, they're just stuck in that um, – sort of this, this space of um, not being able to connect at that level – anymore like mm-hmm. I, I, I keep I keep centering on the idea of feeling invested right in in the product in the service and um, it feels like things have just are, are, are lost and and it could be that to your to your point earlier maybe it's the amount of channels and touch points mm-hmm. now that it's just it's just blown up whether mm-hmm. it's social media whatever it is mm-hmm. um, it's so murky mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that it's like, uh, and that's where I see a lot of those those mm-hmm. same parallels that brands are going through. The, that same um, the the the, tr- the the older brands, yep. I should say, are going through um, this experience of how do we not compete with who we used to compete with? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we have. A whole new set mm-hmm. of of brands and products mm-hmm. to compete with that we just didn't anticipate.
1: Yeah, well, I think it, you called it investment. Uh, what are you investing in? I think again with a band or a brand, I also like what are you buying into? Yeah, uh, and again, not to just you know keep going back to Jay Z, but I think you're buying into a story. The best brands you're buying into a, a story. So I I see these parallels. Yeah. Between great bands and great brands, that way. And then this makes me think of one of the one of the other lessons at the beginning was around resilience. Mm-hmm.
0: And both bands and brands have to be resilient in the right. current environment. Right, they just have to. Um, one of my stories, and um, one of the bands that I was in, um, we had just finished up. I had just joined this band. We were just signed to Ryko Disc, and. Um, actually, it was before we got signed to Ryko Disc. And um, we were just out on a a nationwide tour, and it went, we thought, went really well. And we get back, and our manager, our manager at the time was uh, Johnny Z. Johnny Z was uh, the guy who started Metallica.
1: Hmm.
0: He sort of started Megaforce Records, and he, he... Got got them moving. Uh, so he's a he's a trip. Anywho, we get back and I'll try to do my best impersonation. But like Johnny's like, you guys are screwed. Like there's nothing you guys are going to be able to do. Like no no one's sort of biting on, on on this. Like I can't get you to the next spot.
1: What was the name of your band by the uh, way? That group is called
0: Ominous Sea Pods. Mm. Never heard of us. Feel free to Google us. Yeah okay. Um, and we were like shit. Like we 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 just like we just sold out the House of Blues and the Sunset Strip and like we just feeling so good. And We get back and our manager's like I can't. Get you the deal. Hmm. So, where we sort of retreated to (laughs) was, well, let's just do what we know how to do best. Because if people are saying no, we have to make them say yes. Yeah. So we just spent a whole summer with a four track. This is before digital. (laughs) (laughs) With a four track and just cutting demos, cutting demos, cutting demos, and just fine tuning the song and the process too mm. and making sure that we were writing to the best of our ability right. and again it came back to like that product and that connection are we doing this Right. and we went back to Johnny and we're like I think we've got it mm-hmm. and he listened and he's like I think you've got it and he totally went to bat for us and he got us a deal then at, at, at Ryko Disc and we were able to well, get yeah. sort of that next wave um, and then similarly you know on, on the brand side Everyone has their ups and downs. They have Mm -hmm. their dips in market share. And um, how do you create a culture of resilience, right, within an organization to sort of weather
1: those storms? But but I think the other thing that you you hit upon too, resilience is great, but it's going back to your core or going back, you know, finding your soul. We often talk about that uh, at our place. And I think that, um, you know, I love the, the the Stones. I've been a Stones fan my whole life, but I don't, you know, I don't listen to Havana Moon, you know, I don't. That's not for me. And uh, I was telling someone the other day, I, I really haven't listened to anything since Tattoo You and felt it was great until 2016, whatever, when Blue and Lonesome comes out. And what was, to me what was amazing about this record was it was back to like what I always loved about the Stones which is wow they're an English version of a Chicago blues band (laughs) and I didn't know I didn't know any of the songs on Blue and Lonesome but I love all the songs on that record because they went back to their knitting they went back to what they do well and I think brands like when they try to do stuff that they're not really good at uh I think it hurts them, but when they go back to what they're really good at, I mean, I feel like soda brands, whether you're Coca-Cola, Pepsi, just go back and be like a really great, you know, something that's great to drink. Yeah. You don't have to try that hard, you know?
0: It's such a tough spot, right? I mean, because you, you want to innovate. You want to be fresh. Yeah. And, um, and sometimes, you know, the way to do that is you, you, you have to experiment. Yeah. But if you go to the extreme... Right, it's it's when you lose, like you said, you sort of lose the soul. Yeah, but there's ways to go out on the edge and keep your soul.
1: Yeah. Now, one of the other things you said that I thought was kind of interesting was the the language of music intersects with the language of business. Yeah. Does that uh, ring a bell for you? It does. It does.
0: Uh, I mean, it's funny how how I see literally like things like we're gonna go riff on this idea. Um, mm. you know, and riffing, you know, is like, it's is, is a music term. It's mm. like, let's, let's try out a progression. Let's try out something mm. and play, play an idea. Yeah. And, uh, I hear that one a lot and I, I certainly use that one a lot. Um, even things like a motif,
1: mm.
0: right. Uh, a cadence, a mm. tempo, mm. uh, like these words pop up. In, in
1: businesses, in, in office settings yeah, all the time. And when someone's really good you call them a rock star, look that's at true. that, <laughs> look at that. Uh, speaking of rock stars, so I, I, again, inspired by your book, I was thinking uh, sort of the demise of the rock stars, we would know them, and the rise of the rock star that is the entrepreneur.
0: Yeah.
1: is that? I mean, is, is Elon Musk like today's John Lennon?
0: Yeah, yeah, one of the things, that that's so great, like one of the things that, 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 uh, I do bring up in the book is this idea that um, the the startups, the entrepreneurs, are the new garage bands. Great. They are. Um, you know, the, the outlet at the time, uh, you know, in the late 60s, early 70s, was you pick up a guitar. Now you can go pick up your laptop and, right. and create. Right.
1: In a garage. In a garage. <laughs> right. You know, Apple yeah. created in a garage. Amazon created in a garage, yeah. you know. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, little Steven uh, Van Zandt had an entire radio show devoted to garage bands. That's right. <laughs> but, uh, but they are, like
0: to your point, like they are the new rock stars. Yeah. People look up to them. That's who young folks want to be. Yeah. They point to Musk, They'll, yeah. right? They'll be like, I want to do that. I and wanna...
1: Tesla. So, right, so, stay, so, so yeah. it's Tesla is a band. Mm. Musk, you know, is fronting this band, you know, Elon and the Musks. <laughs> <laughs> Elon, and, Elon, and the, and the Teslas, yeah. and then if you think about the products uh, as albums, yeah, you could think of the you know each each
0: line that he puts out mm. of of, um, of of the car as as an album. You could think of um, the upgrades he sends to each car as like a single, yeah, right. Like hey, here's the new release. Yeah. Right, get it in real time. It's the stream.
1: Yeah, and I, and I sort of see Snapchat as like the romantics, just like a one-hit wonder or a <laughs> Norman Greenbaum with Spirit in the Sky. Right. <laughs> Snapchat's the one-hit wonder of, uh, of tech. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm we'll, wrong. We'll, we'll see. I can be proven wrong. It won't be the first time I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, and then the other thing I thought was very interesting, again, inspired when I read your book, was that music is almost uh, the new MBA and I always thought that you look at someone like you know Puffy, and doing Sirac and even what Madonna has just started to do with MDNA. I don't know if you've mm, seen; she's got a I've new seen. line of, uh, I think it's skincare products. Yeah, and again, she was such a great marketer, and now she's marketing you know not a music product but a uh, a beauty product.
0: Yeah, I think especially for successful artists like the ones you mentioned, there's no escape from. Um, Absorbing some of the techniques of marketing. Yeah. Because it's what propelled these artists to to stardom. Uh, and now they are translating those techniques, those tools um, into new areas
1: outside of music. Um, to me, it is, again, just like the premise of your book, it's yeah. music as a, um, just a great blueprint
0: for marketing. It's a training ground. Yeah. Like you could learn what it's like to be an S&B... <laughs> Advertiser as a marketer as a uh, as a young band as a starting band because you have to do everything right everything you're calling up the clubs you get the posters Mm -hmm. how many ticket sales were there you know and then you're budgeting and and, and then even
1: backing up what's the positioning of this band right how are we going to actually get people to care to show up if they've never even heard of us right. Right. Interesting. And then you talked a little bit about in your book about um, the casting, Uh, casting in a band Hmm. and then casting in business. So maybe talk a little bit uh, uh, about that. I don't know if I have. I don't know. I don't know if I I framed it up for you. Sure. Sure. Um, Band lineup, I think you called it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, It's like building a team at a business. Right. I mean, when you're when you are hiring for your team, there's a few things like you want, you want to get the best of the best for, for what you can afford, mm-hmm. um, but you want to get folks who actually fit, uh, fit the role. At the same time, you want diversity, right? Because and I'll sort of put on like the the band hat for a sec. If you're putting a band together where all the influence, like everyone just loved Led Zeppelin, you know what your band's going to sound like. They're going to sound like Led Zeppelin. Right. And there was a Led Zeppelin. But if you can find the diversity in thought, in approach, in just where people are coming from, mm. um, I think that's where you get all the best teams because they they create something much bigger and greater than you could if you had like homogeny. Mm-hmm. So those are the types of things that I think of when when um, when looking at... Uh, hiring for teams,
1: or or the band lineup? Like, who who do I want to play with? Interesting. And, and do you ever sit in a business situation, because um, I've done this, but you know this better than me. I'm not a musician. The only thing I can play is, you know, the iPod. But, um, <laughs> all right, a little harmonica. But um, have you ever sat in, in, in just a, you know, a conference room and go, oh, that person, she's a bassist, you know? That guy's a drummer. She's a lead singer. I mean, have you ever... Well, you can see it. I, I think you
0: can. It's a, it's a great, great call. Um, I think you, you can see, I don't know, maybe it sounds like to the instrument, but you kind of get how everyone's playing together. Yeah. And you see how people complement each other or where there's discord. And if you get two artists, for instance, together who just don't gel, like you hear it, right? Yeah. You just sense it. You're like, this just isn't working. You know, I'm putting Eddie Van Halen and... Uh, whomever. Um, Miley Cyrus? Sure. It, that actually might sound pretty good. Okay. No. no I'm just, but yeah, like Miley Cyrus and Eddie Van Halen, maybe, I don't know what what would happen, but it just, it's not, it wouldn't gel, maybe. Van Cyrus. <laughs> so, <laughs> I see the devil horns coming out on that one. Um, but I think in, in the boardroom, in the conference room, um, you sense when there's flow.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, sometimes you... You know, especially in, in a management position. And, again, I think you you you, you can pick your bands. Uh, I think the Be- – again, sorry to go back to the Beatles again. I think it's quite clear. But you can find your – okay, that's the Lennon. That's the person who's really the engine with the ideas. Oh, and uh, that's the McCartney because that person can take the raw idea and package it, which is great. And then there's the George. Okay, uh, I'm sensing someone who wants to break out of this group a little bit. They've got the talent, but they're not really quite there. There's the Ringo, and I want to get along with people. Yeah. You know, I'm there. I'm going to just keep things going. And then you may find a Brian Epstein. You may find someone who is like the empresario of it all. Yeah. Uh,
0: I think of um, just leaders in businesses as great producers. Yeah. Agreed. Right? Agreed. It's just these, they, they know how to pull the right people together. They know how to um, pull the ideas out of people. They don't just how to get the best
1: out yeah. of people. By the way, I think there's also some, uh, you know, people like the Colonel and Elvis who kind of stifle, you know, the Colonel, yes, was a great business leader, but he kind of, you know, stifled Elvis. He boxed him. And uh, so you have to look out for that too. So I guess that may be a lesson. It's I don't know if it's in your book, but at least it's inspired by your book is that if you have a favorite a group or a favorite artist uh, and you know a bit about uh, how they're assembled can you apply that to the team you're working on you know if you're a uh, uh if you're a u2 fan you know who's the bono who's the larry you know who's uh, who's the mcginnis producing everything so now i challenge all of your listeners to the next time they're
0: in the room to to do that <laughs> it would be a sort of a fun exercise
1: to do i think that's i think that's great so what we do at at this point in the show is we ask for one piece of advice so today is what wednesday so someone listens to the show we've you know it's Listen, we're really uh, we're thrilled to have listeners from all over the world. Uh, a lot of uh, CMOs we get mail from, emails from. Uh, we get a lot of uh, you know, of course, uh, uh, notes from uh, people in the advertising business. Um, but if you're either a CMO or you're in an agency, mm-hmm. um, it's Wednesday today. Uh, what should they do Monday? Yeah, one lesson that stuck with me for years.
0: That I acquired from, um, and I'll tell a very quick story. Um, again, uh, back back in my uh, in my musician days, um, I scored uh, an opening slot playing. Um, there was a group called Jazz Is Dead, mm. and it was like a jazz take on all the Grateful Dead. Um, and it was like heavy cats were playing in this band, mm. and this one guy. Jimmy Herring. So Jimmy plays, he's played with the Almonds, he's played with Widespread Panic, he's mm. just like you just sat in with Dave Matthews like mm. the other night. He's a serious guitar player. Mm. And when you watch him, you, you're just sitting back amazed. They're like, where the hell are these ideas coming from? Because mm. they're just endless. Mm. Endless. And they're oh, it's always something really fresh. And um, I, I do a set, and it was okay. And then after their their show, um, you know, backstage, I'm like, and Jimmy's like one of the nicest human beings on the planet too, so this helps. So I go up to Jimmy and I'm like, Jimmy, how do you do this, man? Like, what, what do you, where does this come from? And you know, Jimmy sort of gives me his his, his smile. And uh, and, he, uh, and one other quick quick note, he used to play with this band called um, Colonel Bruce Hampton mm-hmm. and the Aquarium Rescue Unit, and the colonel was like this really far out guy who actually brought these musicians up. Mm. And he goes, well, the colonel taught us two things. He said, the first is, you got to bring the devil into the room. So I, I'm like, okay, I'm not sure what to do with that, but thank you. Yep. And then the second thing is, he said, you got to play what you don't know. Mm. And that was it. Wow. That was like a moment for me that... Um help me from just growth in my in my own career. It helps when I have um, my, my own team. Mm. Like, how do I help grow people so that they feel connected to what we're doing and that they feel continually challenged to just keep improving? Um, and the only way you do that is to play what you don't
1: know. Mm. Play what you don't know. All right. Today's Wednesday. That's Monday. Play what you don't know. Play I what that's you don't good. know. All right, Todd Pasternak, thank you so much for chatting with us. And, uh, again, I urge everyone out there to to read this book, uh, Lessons from the Road, Musicians as Business Leaders. It's excellent. Thanks so much, Rob. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to the Disruptor Series podcast, brought to you by TBWA Chi-Day New York. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashyatny.tumblr.com.